Well, today is the last Sunday in Advent. Next Sunday is the first Sunday. I'm sorry. Today is the last Sunday before Advent. Uh, next Sunday is the first week in Advent. And so I'd planned this uh, family, the marriage series, uh, basically around Advent. I was going to force it to be 26 weeks, an ordinary time. And I think it's like actually 24 because I missed two weeks. And a couple of people filled in here and there. So this is our last teaching in the marriage series, with ending with, with child rearing. And so um, this is a series that could go on for years and years and years, as many years as you are raising children, that's how long we can extend this series. But we're not going to do that. And so um, as we close this series, my kind of hope and expectation is that it lays the foundation or it lays the, um, the foundation of teachings and stuff that we could do a similar series on marriage and child rearing that should be needed every five to ten years. If a church isn't having new children every five to ten years, uh, more uh, influx of children, then that would probably indicate a problem. And so even though we're 20 years old as a church, uh, most of our members are in their mid-30s, and so this would be like the second or third wave of, of children that we have, of babies coming in. But also, you could, uh, the way I designed it and made the outlines and stuff is we could take this series and the foundations, and when your kids are 10 years old, you could revisit it and tailor it to what it's like to raise a 10-year-old or after your marriage is, is 10 or 12 years old at that point. <clears throat> And so it's my belief that every, every church should have a huge focus on family, um, uh, especially if, as we teach the uh, seven inevitable institutions of, of government, which being the individual, then the family. Uh, we, you know, after we preach on self-government, then, then on the family, there should be a huge focus on family. And so that's just one way that, that I kind of... Uh, put it out there for everybody and kind of have a mindset is one way that we as a church can get ahead of the game, kind of get ahead of the curve, is by teaching and preaching on some of those foundational things that hopefully, as we teach and preach on it, it, it we wouldn't be a church of, of leaders and elders who just handle the problems that are thrown at us and then try to handle them as they come to us, but as we teach and we train and, and we disciple and we preach on marriage and child rearing, which is a large sum of your life, then hopefully you take these teachings, you, you take uh, how the gospel applies in there, you apply it to your life, you apply it to your family, and then hopefully that eliminates, uh, hopefully you see the problems before, the, before those problems, before you need counseling or, or pastoral care or some kind of intervention or something. And so it's, it is really my hope that culturally in GCF we kind of at least in our minds make a shift to focusing on heads of households um, who shepherd their their family uh, or shepherd their household um, and help them do it well and quite frankly because that would make an elder's job much more easier and make it much easier uh, if heads of households were shepherding well and discipling and training their families or their households um, if they were doing that well, then it makes the elders' job much easier, and you have leaders and elders' meetings that are boring, and that's what we're looking for, is boring meetings, or nothing exciting happened. 
And so, uh, you know, my prayer is, is that the importance of family shepherding and, lead, and leading your family well and in your household has been overwhelmingly clear through the series. If there's anything I want to emphasize, it's the importance of shepherding your family, that this is your house, this is your family, these are people that God put in, in your charge, and you should disciple and, and shepherd them well and, and take up the grace of God to do that. And so uh, before I actually pray and get started on this, this last message, I just want to state that uh, as we did the pressing it into the corners, I'd be willing, and I'm sure all of the, the leaders and elders would be willing, and their wives would be willing to, to meet regularly to help heads of households, help uh, help you shepherd your household well. And whether that's a one meeting or an ongoing meeting, I wouldn't particularly care whether that's to help keep you accountable or whether that's just to check in or whether that's to train or disciple in some aspect. It doesn't matter to me. I'm, I'm willing to help, and I'm sure all the leaders would say amen to that. And so let's pray and get started for today. <clears throat> Uh, Father, we come to you. Uh, you are the, the true father, the father of us all, and we learn our fatherhood and our parenting through you. And we pray that you would impart to us uh, special grace to raise our children, to teach them, to instruct them, to, to discipline them, and to raise them according to your word, to love you, to honor you, and obey you through Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> and so our last topic today is raising boys and girls. And so we kind of have come full circle on the teaching. And if, uh, if you've ever, when you get, we haven't really talked about any specifics in child rearing, to be honest with you. We talked about setting a good atmosphere, about the importance that you're raising immortal souls, uh, the uh, importance of instruction, discipline, and, and punishment. And then it's just like, Okay, now what do we do? And then, and so I'm trying to just hit top-level things, foundational things, and um, I think the next step, which seems natural to me, and I hope this makes sense to everybody, is that you inevitably start raising your kids differently in some aspects. And I think when we started talking about marriage, it's we, one of the first things we talked about was men and women are different. Amen. That's a good thing. I'm so glad my wife does not, does not look like me. <laughs> I'm so glad she doesn't act like me. That would be really hard. <laughs> Isn't it funny how we actually don't want uh, to marry people like us in a lot of respects because that would be too hard. Um, but we compliment each other. You're looking for compliments. And, and so when you foundationally, when you just look at your children, it's very easy to divide how you will raise them separately in some respects, and that's because some are boys and some are girls. And there's another, another divide there. And so pretty early on in the marriage series, when we talked about the differences of, of men and women and their propensities to sin and, and just the, how they're created in the image of God differently and how they reflect the image of God differently. And uh, your boys will grow up to be men and your girls will grow up to be women. And so... Um, as you raise them, it's with the expectation that they're going to be raised in a, in a culture where uh, men and women have different expectations and, and biblically that there's, there's different expectations. And so they have natural inclinations, which are sometimes for the good, 
Sometimes women have natural inclinations towards things, which we'll get into, that are, could be used for their good, or it could be used for, the, for evil or for bad. And men have natural inclinations, and boys have natural inclinations that are, could be used for good, and it could be used for bad. And uh, most of them that we look at are not, uh, are not innately good or bad. It's just this is the way boys are, and this is the way girls are. And you want to train them to, to use that for, for the good. <clears throat> and so it does inevitably mean that in some respect, you are going to raise your children differently. And uh, that doesn't, the main difference is male and female. But it doesn't mean that you have two sets of moral standards. God doesn't put out there that like, okay, boys should really listen to you and that, that thou shalt not kill thing was for the men and for the boys. And that thou shalt not lie was for the girls. And uh, so there's not two sets of moral standards. We're not looking at how God says that women should morally do this or morally do that. But it is a, a fact that men sin differently than women. There's, there's different propensities towards different sins. And so you do want to have one common standard that is applied differently towards boys and, and towards girls. And so just one example of that is that boys are aggressive. There's, there's no boy that isn't aggressive at some point in their life. And they were built aggressive. They were born aggressive. They're aggressive. They're uh, sometimes violent, right? They have a, a natural tendency towards aggression, towards violence, towards being rugged. Uh, and they could use that to protect or they could use that to harm. They could realize that they could use their violence to protect people against violence, or they could use their aggression and violence to use that to get what they want, right? And so as parents, we want to be careful not to neuter their aggression so that they are, this is mostly the moms, moms have problems with this, to neuter the boys' aggression so that they end up like females and they're just not aggressive and they're not useful for a lot of things. Um, but we don't want them to just run wild with it and do whatever they want. Those would both be bad, right? Uh, we want to teach them to temper their aggression. Right? They should have enough self-control in what you're teaching and you're disciplining and you're training them to do is have enough self-control to know when and how to use their aggression. And so one way, uh, this is really just in the as an example, one way that dads do this, I will, and so you see this natural image of God in, in differently in men and women and boys and girls, and I very, very rarely see a mom wrestling with her boys like routinely and teaching them how to fight. Does it happen? Sure, I'm sure it does. I don't see it a lot. Um, I wrestle with, and I wrestle with my girls, but it wasn't their idea. They weren't <laughs> like, yeah, let's wrestle uh, until they found out how fun it was, and then they... Now Lily likes to wrestle, right? And so one way you, you filter and you teach and train a boy's aggression is by play fighting, right? Every dad, by the time their kid's like three, two, three, four, they start to play fight and wrestle with them. And so what you're doing in that, play is a great way to teach and to train young men and women in, in various things. And what dad's doing in that is he's teaching them self-control, Right? It's very early on, if you've been a dad wrestling any small child, that you have to teach them where they can't hit, 
right? There's certain things that you just can't hit. doesn't matter how hard you hit it, it hurts, right? You got to stay away from the eyes too, uh, right? You can't scratch the eyes. And so they're learning and to fight. They're learning this aggressive behavior. They're learning to temper it and control it. I can fight. I can wrestle. It's, a, it's this thing that's welling up inside of me, and I want to do it, but I can't go for the eyes every time, right? Um, and so when dads fight with their kids, they're learning how to temper their aggression. They're learning how hard they can hit, where they can hit, when to stop, right? All those things. And so what that does for young men is it teaches them they're going to have a lot more self-control when they go and fight their brother. When there's a real fight, they're going to fight with self-control or with more self-control than they otherwise would have had. And so... Um, and so they can fight, and you know, in, uh, if I had two boys, and they were fighting, and I would say, if they came in, and I would say, well, you guys take it outside, go fight, go wrestle. Uh, if you guys have a real argument, go take it outside, come back, when, and don't come back with any whining, and don't get any blood on the carpet. That would be my standard for the boys. But, and, and so I'd let them fight freely as long as they're not seriously getting injured uh, and not getting blood on the carpet. Do whatever you want. Uh, go, go fight, go handle it, come back, handle your business, come back and don't whine or complain about it, figure it out. And, but if they were to hit their sister, that's an immediate like, no, you stop, right? So it's not that you can just use your aggression on, on anybody. You can't use your aggression and fight your sister. You can't hit her. Right? And so that's not two different standards. That's not two different moral codes. Uh, that's one moral code getting applied differently. Right? We, you can fight your brother. You guys can handle this out. But you cannot hit girls. You can't hit your sister. Right? If, if, uh, it's like if my boy, uh, when he's old enough, he scrapes his knee and comes in. And I'll say, okay, yeah, like, suck it up. I walk it off. Uh, put a Band-Aid on it. And don't get blood on the carpet. And keep going. But if when my girls come in and scrape their knee, you got to pick them up and you got to bandage their wounds and you got to clean them and you got to hold them and tell them it's going to be okay. And it's because they're different, right? Uh, there is one moral code, but it gets applied differently between men and women. And so on the flip side, girls are beautiful. Every little girl is beautiful, right? Uh, there's not you know, there's not any little girls that aren't, aren't there out there that aren't beautiful. And so when they get older, you know, based on how they're, how they're raised and how they use their beauty, they could use their beauty when a young man is trying to court them. And, uh, well, let's take a step back. So girls know that they're beautiful, right? Every, every little girl knows this. And uh, they'll come up to their dad and they'll hold their hands and, and bat their eyelashes and say, Daddy can we have some ice cream? <laughs> and, and, and they just naturally do it. And they might kiss them on the cheek and say, please, please, please. And, and the answer is yes, like every time. And then mom comes in and says, well, we haven't eaten dinner. I'm like, but she said, but she, she, <laughs> she's so cute, right? And so they know that they're beautiful. They know they could use their beauty to get things. And that's not bad. That's a very, that could be used for a very, very good thing. And so when they're older, if they've been, 
instructed and, and trained right, <coughs> excuse me, when a young man comes to court them and the young man says, hey, I like you, I'd like to kiss you. And she could use her beauty and say, not so you get a job and you give me a ring, <laughs> right? If you want this beauty, you can work for it. You don't just get it for free, right? And that's a very good thing. It, yeah, and men who normally, <clears throat> it's higher, keep going higher, uh, on the age, on the age when they're a maritable age, uh, that's, that's the thing, this, to- this series can go on for a long time, that's a whole other topic, and, and so women know that their beauty, and when it's, it comes to be marriageable age, they could use their beauty to temper men's aggression. They want to take things by force. I want that girl, come on with me, we're going. She says, no, walk me like this. And she can, uh, it's that give and play in, in men and women, uh, you know, under, under godly circumstances that women can use their beauty to further temper and discipline men's uh, aggressive and, and use it to build something more beautiful. And so they could use their, their beauty to get something even, even more powerful. And in that sense, I think that women even have more power than men. And so, or they could use that if there's a hole in their heart, if there's a hole in their spirit that hasn't been filled by their father and hasn't been filled in Christ, they will probably use their beauty to seduce people in negative ways, right? They want love, and so they know that they're beauty, and they can get at least men's attention by seducing them. And so women know innately that they could use their, their beauty to get things, and that's, that could be used for good or, or in the negative. And so as parents, what we want to do is to pay close attention to these things. We want to be aware of the differences that God has innately put in men and women, and we want to lead, we want to guide, we want to instruct and discipline appropriately. And so, like I said before, men have a propensity to sin in certain ways, and women have a propensity to sin in other ways. Is it possible for a man to use his dashing good looks for bad? Sure. Does it happen as often as it could happen with women? Certainly not. Uh, Could women take things by force, and do they have, could they be aggressive? Sure, they can, but that's not normally that's not normally the case. Those are outliers, and so uh, if you pay attention to these things when they're young, they're going to be less of an issue when and they're older. And so I kind of want to go through uh, three things with the girls to pay attention to. Out of we'll first look at First Peter three three through six, and then uh, two things in boys to pay attention to in Titus 2. And so let's turn to 1 Peter 3, 3 through 6. And so this is not talking about little girls. There is no biblical instruction for, for little girls. I'm talking about five, six, seven-year-olds. There are instructions for young women. There's instructions generally for women. But most of the uh, scriptural writings are for adult people. Right, and it's and it's then the uh, then the, the the greatest instruction we get is for parents to discipline and instruct their children. That's what they get. And so we're going to look at 
what the Bible instructs generally women to be careful of or to watch out for, and we're going to apply that and see how we would do that in, in raising girls. <clears throat> and so uh, this goes with boys and girls. Um, you do want to enjoy the little years. The, they are children, and you want to treat them appropriately like children. Uh, you don't want to treat them like little adults, but you want to be looking towards that they will be adults much longer, two, three, or four times longer than they will be children. And so you might have 20 years with them in the house, and out of that 20 years, half of that, the first 10 years, is probably the most influential. Obviously, you could influence them going on in life, but there's not as much influence when they're 16, 17, 18 years old. And so uh, looking, you want to look at your children not like little adults, but that they will live the majority of their life as adults, making their own decisions. And so 1 Peter 3, 3 through 6 says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold and jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And so I'm using this passage to draw out that uh, you should be careful to pay attention to your girls. I'll just list them and then we'll talk about them. Of... Make sure that they're not only concerned about looks, but they're also concerned about their, their inner beauty. Uh, you are preparing them to submit to a husband someday, so train them with discernment. And then third is that uh, girls have a propensity towards fear and anxiety and how to train them through it. And so the first thing Peter says here is, or talks about, is about adorning, not just letting your beauty be outside, right? Girls know that they're beautiful, and you should be affirming that to your girls all the time. Wow, you're so beautiful. I really like that dress. You, I like the way you do your hair. You should, you should brush your hair. You're more beautiful that way, uh, and various things, right? Um, and it's not, the passage isn't saying that you should just throw out natural beauty, and you shouldn't take care of yourself, and uh, every husband would be like, oh, let's rethink this Christianity thing uh, if, if all the girls were like not as beautiful. But what you see in Christianity is actually there's, the women get more and more uh, beautiful in various ways. And so, but what Peter says here by the Holy Spirit is that you have to be careful not to just be about looks. And so girls have that in themselves. They know that they can get some things that they want by their looks. But you have to be able to train them and reassure them and encourage them about a gentle and quiet spirit on what's going on on the inside. And you don't want to drudgingly say, well, you're very beautiful, but in about 20 years it's going to change, and then you're going to start feeling old, and then you're going to get wrinkles, and then the majority of your life people aren't going to think you're as beautiful as you were before, and so don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, but what you want to... Uh, you want to uh, you know, exalt their beauty. They are women, but you also want to pay attention. And you know, when uh, just one way I do that is when I see uh, Lily playing with other kids or helping them out. I say, "Hey, I saw I saw you you when you helped out that kid. That was really awesome. I really like that. I really like your generous spirit. 
I really like how thankful you are. I really like, you know, and, and you point out what's going on on the inside and help them to see that it's not just about beauty because that's just a natural propensity. And so if they have a father who is noticing their inner beauty later on in life, they're going to be attracted to a man who is also noticing their inner beauty and not just their outer beauty. If they're always focused on their outer beauty they're, and that's all they get, eventually they're going to be attracted to a man that is only focused on their outer beauty and not looking for uh, what their inner beauty is or the real gem that they are. And if, uh, and if a young man, if they get to a marriageable age and a young man's trying to court her and he doesn't recognize her inner beauty, then he's not worthy. Tell him to go take a hike, go kick some rocks, get out of here and run him off. Get your shotguns ready, guys. And so <clears throat> you want to be able to, and, and there's various ways to do it, but you just have to be able, you have to understand with your girls that you're focusing on, your, your, you're exalting not just their outer beauty, but their inner beauty. And you can uh, point that out with encouragement, you can, you can discipline, you can, uh, you can train that in various ways, but you want to take a, a, a firm stance in your mind that you're going to pay attention to what's going on on the inside with your girls and especially encourage them uh, towards that. So the second thing Peter talks about is that women uh, would ought to submit to their husbands. And so <clears throat> as your girls become men, you are leading them, or I'm sorry, <laughs> your girls don't become men. <laughs> I've been, I've been listening to too much news. No, I'm sorry, as your women grow up and they look for men and men are looking for them, they are looking for a, someone that they want to submit to, that, that they should be willing to submit to. And so, they're, again, they're going to first learn that in the household. And what you don't want is a submission that is, I say jump and you say how high. That's not, the, that's not biblical submission. That's not what you want out of your wives. That's not what you want out of your girls. You want to train them in a way where they can discern, is this a man that I want to submit to or not? And if their dad is always saying jump and you have to say how high, that's the man they're going to look for. And, and so the submission that they see between husband, between mom and dad, between husband and wife is probably what they're going to understand and look for. And um, I don't care how godly you are, there are situations in every marriage where the wife has to be an Abigail and not submit to her husband because it wouldn't be submitting to the Lord uh, just because every, every man has fallen. That doesn't mean your kids are going to see that. That doesn't mean that you're that they're going to know about any of that, but it is inevitable. And so you have to train your girls with discernment to be able to, to look out for. And so you have to be paying careful attention for your girl's sake, how you're leading them, how you're asking them and, and training them to obey, obey their mom and dad. And is it a just blanket statement of you have to obey and you have to obey quickly? Do you help them to understand do you, uh, you know, when they get to, uh, uh, you, know, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old, whatever, when they go to grandma's house and you already said that we can't have candy before dinner, but now we're at grandma's house and she's offering candy, do we, what do we do? <laughs> what realm are we in? Uh, 
And, and so you, and you can teach them and train them in, in just life circumstances on, like, do I submit to this? Do I submit to this person when mom and dad are gone? And do I submit to this person? And you can teach godly submission through, especially through the parents, with discernment on when to submit, how to submit, because that's what they're going to be doing uh, if they get married for most of their life. And, and that's what God's called them to do. Uh, and they want to, you want to train them to look for a man uh, that they would be willing to submit to, right? And so that doesn't mean when they're five years old, you're like, hey, get ready. You're going to get married one day, and you're going to have to listen to some guy. So make a good decision. That's not, you know, some of that, the real uh, uh, instruction and training gets, gets handled later on as they're in their teens, and they start thinking about that. But how are they submitting to their mom and dad for the first few years of their life, first 10 years of their life, will be ingrained in them. And so uh, the third thing, moving along, is that it says that, uh, that women, uh, says all not to do if they raise their children, and um, if they do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, I know I said earlier that women do have a propensity towards being kind of controlled by fear and anxiety. That's just something that happens. Uh, usually when guys, when that happens to women, we're like, we kind of understand that and we guide them through it. When it happens to men, we say that they're cowards and you should buck up and <laughs> fight your fears. And, but it, what it says here, it doesn't say if they fear anything that is unrealistically fright, frightening. It says things that are just really scary. Like these are real fears, and, but you shouldn't fear them. And so you should pay close attention as you're raising your, your girls to see what are they afraid of, what, is, what anxieties, what fears might have a grip on them, and they could be legitimate fears, and a lot of times they are. And how do we train them through that? How do we train our girls that when there's something that's fearful and, and they want to shut down, or, or whether it's stage fright or... Uh, or anything else, you know, like if, if a girl's in a play and she practices the play and then she gets scared to go on stage, that's maybe a real fear, but how do you train them through that? Um, and, 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 you know, that's a non-consequential scenario. And, and so, you know, fathers, mothers should be paying careful attention as their girls are being raised that is there any fear, is there any anxiety that kind of is motivating them, is kind of gripping them, and how do we train them through that? And it's not, it's not really scary. Just get over it and let's go forward. Uh, you can do that with boys, but you can't do that with the girls um, because there are things that are, are really scary. Right? How do you train them through a, a fear of rejection and various things? And so those are things you need to pay attention to as you're raising your girls. And so let's move on to the boys. And so... Uh, the boys, we're going to actually just look at Titus 2.6. That's the only real verse we'll use. Well, if we use any other verses, they are real verses, but this is the only verse we're going to focus on. Titus 2.6 says, Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. And like, yeah, why do the boys get it so easy? They just get one direction. 
all the women got the women got all these things, and uh, well, first off, uh, and you can believe me or not believe me, but read your Bibles, and I really do think the scriptures point to that men really do have it harder than in a lot of respects, or in parentheses, they have more responsibility than women when it comes to biblical Christianity. So that means that in your household, the uh, wives are responsible for themselves first and any children that they have, and the husband is responsible for themselves, their wife, and their children. And so they have a little bit more responsibility when it comes to that. So when Titus is saying that they need to be self-controlled, that sounded like, oh, let's just teach them to be self-controlled and let's make sure, you know, there are, if you look one verse earlier, it tells the women, young women, to also be self-controlled. So it's not like men and young men need to be learned how to be self-controlled and women and young women don't need that. There's the same direction. Um, And then the older men and uh, younger and older women get a lot more, direction in this passage, but young men is just self-controlled. And so uh, self-control applies to every aspect and respect of your life. I don't think this is a pass for young men to take it a little bit easier and just help them be a little more self-controlled. And uh, it's, it's a little bit more demanding than that. <clears throat> and so what you want to see and what you want to train in your boys is self-government, self-control, and discipline in every area, in every aspect, in every respect. And you should be on them, <laughs> like, a lot, because boys need it. They don't have self-control, uh, naturally. And so this is the, the self-government, the self-control is an overarching principle that is going to dictate how successful they're going to be in their vocation, how successful they're going to be in their marriage when they get older, how successful they're going to be in their friendships. And really, it's whether anybody's going to actually like them, is if how self-controlled they are. And, and so if you've, in various ways, um, have you ever been around a guy who has no verbal self-control? Amen. Amen. <laughs> okay. They usually don't have a lot of friends or close friends. Their marriage is, is usually a little rocky or their wife is on edge and should be. Um, and that's just with his words, right? I don't want to hang out around guys that don't have a lot of verbal self-control that just say whatever they want. Uh, I don't want to be their friends. They don't make good friends. And, uh and usually they don't do good in their jobs, they don't do good in their marriages, they, they don't do good as fathers. And that's just with how self-controlled they are with their words. And so if you look at temperance, or self-control is the root of the tree of contentment and of peace. If you have self-control, you will have more peace, you will have more contentment, right? Um, as you teach children to play instruments or something like the piano, it takes a lot of self-control and self-will to make your fingers move, and, and you get very frustrated because you don't have control over your body. It gets very frustrating, and you get angry, but as there's more self-control, there's more training, there's more bodily function because you've practiced, and you can play the piano, and you can play songs, there is joy, there's contentment, there's pride because you've you're able to do something. There's something to be proud of. But there's nothing to be proud of. There's only frustration when you haven't practiced, when you don't have control. 
And so if it's true that men, if we're raising boys to be men, and which means and, and men are to lead, then without self-control, they could never lead by example. They will never be able to be set a good example. They'll never be able to... Uh, they might get higher positions, they might get married, they might have friendships, they might get positions in the church, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> but they would never be able to lead by example without self-control, which means they could never be a good leader. They could never lead their life well, they could never lead in their job well, they, could, uh, they just could never lead well. And so without self-control, you would raise them to be nothing but a hypocrite in a leadership realm. And if you want them to get married and have children, which I expect you do, and if God grants that to them, then they would be nothing but hypocrites to their family. <clears throat> and so self-control is key. You should be on boys, especially as they're younger, all the time to get controlled. Control yourself. Control your words. Control your actions. Control your emotions. All right, you should look at and be aware of how your sons are exercising self-control or self-discipline over their actions, their words, their, their passions, right? Is the, if you've told them, if they have a, they have the, man, they just really love ice cream. They just really love ice cream. Are they getting up in the middle of the night to eat ice cream? Do they listen to their mom and dad to eat ice cream? Do they have, can they listen? Do they have enough control over their sweet tooth, over their passions to, to, to not submit to that. That's what you're looking for, right? That goes with like anger. Uh, when they get angry at their brother, do they hit him? That's their actions and their passions, right? That's two and one. You get to train them and discipline them. You get a two for one as a parent <laughs> when they hit their brother. Uh, and, and you can train them and, and discipline through that. And you want to be aware of what's driving them. Are they, do they have passions that drive them that are ungodly? Their thoughts, they should be self-controlled over their thoughts, right? And you're like, well, now you got to get inside their head. What are they thinking? I don't know. I don't talk to them. Well, that, there's the problem. Uh, and, and so you have to figure out a way to get inside your son's head, ask them questions, figure out what they're thinking to direct their thought process. Uh, one way I do that in, in the home is, uh, you know, there's a, just a common example is, you know, um, but not, maybe this isn't, it's a common, but not realistic. We don't really do this, but, you know, uh, if Lily couldn't reach the bowl in the top cabinet, she's like, I can't reach it. I'd say, not with that attitude. <laughs> you can't do it with that attitude. You are absolutely right. But you could think of something to overcome. Get a chair, jump on the counter, which you commonly do, and, and get the bowl in the top cabinet, right? But you can't do it with that attitude. You're right. That attitude will stunt you. You won't do it. You'll feel defeated, and you won't be successful. You'll quit, right? You'll be a quitter. And, and so I say not with that attitude quite a bit um, in our household. And then I get it back at me sometimes, which is fair. People tell me not with that attitude. I'm like, I've got an attitude for you. Um, <laughs> But, and then lastly, uh, you, so you want to look at your boys' actions, words, passions, thoughts, and emotions. You should be disciplining and, and directing their emotions. Are there not just their passions and, and what they want, their appetites, but do their emotions drive them? Are they driven 
uh, by apathy? Are they driven by anger? Are they, right? Can they obey joyfully when they don't feel like it? And so those are the things you should be looking out for in, in teaching and displaying self-control. <clears throat> and boys, I don't, I don't have an older boy. I just have a four-month-old. And so I'm not telling you from experience, but I really do believe that, like, boys, you just got to really be on it, and they get disciplined, and they get it. Like, you got to be on them all the time. Girls, I just, I don't, I know it's not biblically sound that they're better, but I think they're easier in, in some regards. Uh, but you just have to discipline them and, and, and train them in various ways. And so you want to teach them, right, how to be self-controlled in the habit of honoring their mother, right? Because how they relate to their mother is innately how they're going to relate to other women. That's the first woman they learn to relate to. So they should be very self-controlled and, <clears throat> and not passively honoring, but actively honoring. And you should have that atmosphere and, and teach that in the home. If they don't relate to their mother well, it's not likely they're going to grow up to relate to other women well. And so uh, boys get it easier. You get two things. Uh, and so self-control it applies to every area of aspect, every aspect and respect of their life. And then the second thing you want to uh, uh, pay careful attention to in your boys is that they take responsibility. And so the, the first effect after the fall was that they hid from God, they hid from the presence of God, Adam and Eve sinned, and they hid. They were ashamed, and they didn't want, they wanted to be autonomous from God, they, and they didn't want to be found. The second effect is that Adam started to blame shift his wife. It wasn't my fault, it was my wife that gave it to me. It was you, God, you gave me the woman, what am I supposed to do? Uh, he negated responsibility. He put that responsibility that he was supposed to have and, and on somebody else. <clears throat> and so if, if boys are going to be raised to men and men are supposed to lead the home, and then and so uh, authority streams to those who take responsibility, those who, who take responsibility on themselves of other people, of, of things that, that really isn't their circus and isn't their monkeys, if they take responsibility for those things, they're going to find themselves in a position of authority over those things. And so what you want to see in your boys is, is that they embody the standard that you've set out for them. You want to pay careful attention that they're not just obeying you because they're there and they can't wait until they get to be, and they're like seven years old and they're like, I heard that I could move out when I'm 18 and that's when I'm going to get to do what I want to do and live my own life. You want to see that they are internalizing the standard, that they're taking that responsibility upon themselves. And you can view that in all the time. And when you're at the park playing, when, I mean, you can hear, you can hear your kids upstairs or down the hallway and how they're treating their sister and how they're treating their siblings and, and how they talk to their mom and how they talk to their dad and various things. And, but you want to look out that they are internalizing the standard the, as the first responsibility. <clears throat> and you want to see and you want to train them in, in practical ways how to not just take responsibility for themselves, but take responsibility for others and, and put them in a position where they have to be responsible for others. And so that might look like, you know, this is easier in the younger years, and uh, the older they get, it gets a little bit harder if you haven't trained and, and done this well earlier, but, but God gives you grace for where you're at, not where you're supposed to be. 
And so you could take your oldest boy, if you've got multiple children uh, or more than one, and you take your kids to the park, you can pull your older, oldest boy aside and say, hey, I want you to play, I want you to have fun, but I want you to make sure that your sister is safe. I want you to pay careful attention to make sure that your sister is safe while we play. Go have fun. And then watch him and see if he does that. Watch him and see if he's paying attention and taking responsibility for, for his sister or his other siblings. Um, you know, just, just practical ways is, you know, dad might leave the home, might go do something and pull one of his boys or, you know, aside and say, hey, I'm going out, but I want you to be the man of the house while I'm gone. I want you to do what I would do. And so that means you'd better be on your game and what do you do around the house? Does that mean your son's going to flip up, the, get a phone, put his feet up on the couch and wait for dinner? Or is he going to be helping his mom? Is he going to be making sure that, that the other kids, that the table's set? Is he going to be making sure that everything's prepared, right? Is he going to be taking responsibility on himself that I'm going to do what dad does? What does dad do? Does he help mom get dinner ready? Does he help set the table? Does he wrangle the other kids, right? And, and you can do that in various ways with your sons to give them responsibility, give them responsibility in chores, uh, get them an animal that it doesn't matter if they die, uh, <laughs> like a cat <laughs> or something, and, and, and give them chores and, and see how they do, right? Give them an opportunity to fail, you know, and uh, you don't want to say, hey, here's your baby sister for the weekend, mom and dad are gone. Good luck. Uh, but give them, give them some kind of responsibility where they could fail. Give them some kind of responsibility where you can watch them and you want to see them starting to take responsibility for themselves. That eventually, if you discipline and train them in that, that they will just naturally do that. It will be like second nature to them that they'll start, start taking responsibility. You know, you can do that with chores like taking out the trash is, and you just train them for a few weeks of like, we're going to take out the trash when it's full and you need to pay attention. And I'll remind you, but you know, after a certain point, I'm not going to tell you anymore. And I just expect you to take out the trash when it's full. And then you go, go with it and, and do it appropriately. You know, teach them after that. <clears throat> and so the boys, you want to pay careful attention um, on how self-controlled they are and that they're taking responsibility. And so, you know, uh, you know, my prayer through this whole series is that we're having godly marriages. We're stopping any problems that might be problems down the road that you're taking, you know, the biblical call to manhood and womanhood and uh, to be a husband and to be a wife and, and to be a father and, and be a mother seriously. And you apply those in your home by God's grace. And so that's the end of our marriage series and child rearing. Let's pray, and we'll worship here in a bit. Uh, Lord, we really do need your grace to take your word and apply it in our households, and we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would apply it to our hearts, that we would have ongoing uh, daily portions of your grace to lead our family, to, 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 to be married, to... Uh, for the singles to find spouses, to raise our children well. We pray for special portions of, of your grace, Lord, because without it, we would fail. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would be here this morning, that we would, you would wake up our spirits and we'd have live 
uh, lively, vibrant worship. Through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.